This morning, our nation is once again in turmoil. Started yesterday afternoon into the evening uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, over the grand jury return on uh, the uh, the the murder of Breonna Taylor, uh, and uh, or the the death of Breonna Taylor, and the jury grand jury uh, did not bring back uh, the uh, report that many wanted to see. Um, it is amazing, I've learned over the years, having been on a jury, that uh, when you are on a jury, you get evidence that is never talked about in the public eye. And you have to make a decision according to the law, and sometimes that decision um, is not what people desire. Uh, however, uh, there is now, as of this morning, evidence that uh, they were actually preparing for the riots that took place yesterday and are still going on this morning in Louisville. Uh, prior to the grand jury's uh, uh, revelation of their decision uh, because this had actually been something that they were going to do no matter what the grand jury did. And, uh, of course, uh, if you paid any attention to it at all, you know, again, two police officers were killed uh, in this incident. You know it's continually going on. You know that other cities this morning uh, and even late last night started joining in with additional protests. we got big protests going on in New York City right now. And uh, it just reminds us of the difficult days that we are in, uh, living in today. Uh, there are so many issues related to the question at hand in our series. We are asking the question, what does it look like to be a Christian and a citizen? And we began this series by saying, is that even possible? And acknowledging that some people say you can't, that you're a citizen of heaven only, and you really should just uh, not even think of yourself as being a citizen of your country. And yet we realize that that is actually not what Jesus taught. That is not what Paul did. That is not what Peter did. That is not what uh, the early church did. They recognized themselves first and foremost as a citizen of heaven. But secondly, they recognized themselves as a citizen of the country in which they lived. And we began to understand that. And then we began to ask the question together in this series. So what do we need to understand to be a Christian and a citizen? A Christian and therefore first and foremost a citizen of heaven. But secondarily, a citizen of the country in which we reside like Jesus commanded us to do. And we learn that there are actually God-ordained uh, three institutions that help us to understand, when we understand those institutions, help us to understand our rights and our responsibilities within God's economy, within God's uh, creation. Because while God can do whatever He wants to do, God chose in the very earliest times, in fact, He chose it before the foundation of the world, but we see it revealed even in creation itself that He intended for there to be institutions led by human beings that would govern His creation. And we began looking at those, and there are three of those. Last time together in chapel, when I was speaking, we looked at the first institution that God ordained. It is the primary institution. It is the building block upon which the other two institutions are built. And that is the institution of the home, a man and wife and children. But today we turn our attentions to look at the second institution that God ordained. 
Now, there are many places in Scripture that we could go to understand this institution or to begin to at least see how this institution developed and so forth. In fact, really in Genesis chapter 4, we begin to see hints of the development of government. In fact, uh, we see a city established, and a city being established lets us know that there had to be some kind of rules, there had to be some kind of organization. And then as we continue, we see that other cities are established. We find that things are moving in that direction, and so many theologians call this the, the time of the government or the dispensation of government, if you're a traditional dispensationalist. And so there's the time of government that is there, and we see government developing. Of course, when we get to the nation of Israel, it is a different kind of government. But the fact is, is what we see throughout the Old Testament are many examples of government. And yet, when we come to the New Testament, we have the most uh, clear statement on God's ordination or God ordaining the institution of government of anywhere in the Bible. And that's the text that I want us to look at today. So I want you to open your Bible with me to Romans in chapter 13. Romans in chapter 13. Now later in our series, it is likely that we will revisit this chapter along with some other chapters when we talk about God's intention for submission for each of us individually within His three institutions. But as we look at this text today, what I want you to know with me is that government is established by God. This is an institution that God instituted for the purpose of overseeing His creation. In fact, a government, whether it recognizes him or not, is actually established by him. And the authority that a government exercises is not given to it by power or by armies. But the reality is the government that the governments that exist on the earth at any given time, they are given their right to exist and their right to exercise authority by God Himself, whether they recognize it or not. Therefore, that is why in that first passage we looked at, Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Because Jesus Himself, as God the Son, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit in their establishment of rule over their creation, ordained government. Now, government may be corrupt. That does not change the fact that God ordained government. They may not be a good government. They may be a government who stands against God. They may even be a government who God will bring judgment upon. In fact, very clearly, Scripture speaks about the judgment of the nations that will one day come. There's no question about that, but the reality is though Caesar did not recognize the one true God and that his authority was ordained and given to him by God himself, though he didn't recognize that, that was the reality. And therefore, Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And Paul submitted to Caesar despite his evil wickedness. 
And Peter submitted to Caesar despite his wickedness because they understood that government is an institution that God has ordained. Folks, what is going on in the streets of our nation today is missing the mark as far as God is concerned. The fact of the matter is, is when we are being lawless and rebelling against the government that God has given us simply because of our desires, because we want to overthrow it, because we want to change it, if we're doing it just purely out of that kind of motivation, the reality is it is wrong. It is wrong. And the, the police officers in Louisville or in New York City or in any other city where these things are taking place today have the authority and the right and, listen, the responsibility to bring law and order to their city. And it's because God has ordained it, and we'll see that in this text today. So I want you to notice with me, we'll begin reading in verse 1, we'll read through verse 7, and then we'll come back and I'll point out three crucial things to us from this text today. As I said, we'll come back to this text later, but for today, I just want to point out three things. So let's look beginning of verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Now, the primary thrust of this paragraph, written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome, where Caesar's power was most strongly felt, where the corruption of Caesar was known very well by everyone, believers or unbelievers. But in, to the Christians there, he writes to them, and the thrust of this passage is submit to the governing authorities. But what he does in this text is he surrounds that repeated command with reasons why we should do so. And we will come back and look at the commands at another day, but today I want us to look at the reasons that he gives in this text. Now, the first thing he says is really quite striking when you think about who the original recipients of this letter was. He says, for there is, in the middle of verse 1, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, how in the world do you think that's set with Roman believers 
who were under persecution, who were living so close to Caesar's palace, not the one that people go to in Vegas, <laughs> but they were living so close to Caesar's palace that they saw the corruption better than anybody else in the world. They knew how bad it was. And yet Paul comes to them and says, listen, be subject to the governing authorities because there is no authority, listen to that, no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Here's the first thing I want us to get down in our minds today about the second institution that God established. Government is appointed by God. Government is appointed by God. He says there is no authority except from God. He says the authorities that exist are appointed by God. He says, listen, God has appointed government. God's intent is for government to have control over their region, over their respective area. And for us in the United States, that means the president and Congress and the Supreme Court ultimately have jurisdiction, not from us first and foremost, that's secondarily, but first and foremost from Almighty God to exercise laws, to execute those laws, and to judge when those laws are, are actually not followed our government has that authority for the United States of America. And that authority has been given to them by God. To the Romans, they, he was saying, look, Caesar has the authority of God over this area. Now, that's, that's a pretty strong statement. I remember the first time I really began to struggle with that in my life. It was not in recent years. It was actually in the 1990s when we had a president who I believed was a very corrupt man. Who, in fact, I believed that uh, he was actually moving against God and God's word in many, many ways. In fact, he was doing everything he could, could at that time to expand the murder of unborn babies. In fact, he was advocating for something almost as bad as what the Virginia governor is doing today. He was advocating for abortions, what was called then partial birth abortions, that actually is an issue of torture of a baby in its mother's womb. Senators who had guts went to the Senate floor in the midst of this discussion and in the midst of him advocating for this, and they actually brought out poster boards that showed the step-by-step -step process of torture that a baby was put through before they actually died. Some actually began to produce sonograms that showed the baby responding in pain to the torture that was given. And he advocated this. And I said, that is evil. It is it is wrong and we must stand against it. And then I, I, I thought of this text and I began to study this text. And I said, how in the world can this be ordained by God? And ladies and gentlemen, 
through a lot of time of study and through a lot of time of prayer, I came to realize that this passage was not advocating for President Bill Clinton. This passage is advocating for the system of government. And so therefore, though I must stand against what he stood for, I must do it in a respectful way because he was the president of the country in which I dwell. There was no place for me to be disrespectful to that president. It was wrong. I believe that with every president we've had since those days. When I've agreed with the presidents and when I've disagreed with the presidents. Because listen, God has ordained government. Now, we will get into what do you do when, when the institutions conflict with what God commands. And we'll do that down the road. But I want us to understand today that even if we disagree with government, we must do so in a respectful way. Because the fact of the matter is, is it is not the person, but it is the governmental system that God has ordained. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that was taught when I was growing up. That was taught when I was in school, at a public school. It was taught that you may disagree with, with our town council. You may disagree with our governor. You may disagree with our state legislature. You may disagree with the, with the President of the United States. You may think that, that any of those levels of government, what they are doing, are absolutely wrong. And you can, as a citizen of this country, you have a right to voice that. And there is a proper way to voice that. But boy, I tell you something, not one of my teachers in a public school setting, not one uh, of the, the administration in the public school setting, and certainly not anyone in my home would allow me a half a second to be disrespectful to the government. I may disagree with the person and their policies, and if their policies are evil, I should do everything in my power to work against those policies, but I must respect the authority of the government because God ordained it. God did not, listen to me closely, God did not ordain that Caesar would kill Christians. He does not do that. The Bible tells us that God cannot do evil and he is not even tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone else to do evil. God did not ordain that action, but God did ordain government. And at that time, Caesar was the head of the worldwide empire of Rome. And therefore, respect was due him. In fact, we see an example in the Apostle Paul in the, if you read in the book of Acts, which we don't have time to do today, but there's one point where he is before the Sanhedrin and he, uh, someone uh, tells the person standing next to him to strike him, and he does, and he calls him out. And uh, someone standing by says, do you mean to speak against the high priest? What are you doing? And Paul said, no, I didn't know it was the high priest or I wouldn't have done that because God tells me not to in that way. He called him a name. That's what he did for doing it. He might have objected to it being done, but he wouldn't have done it in a disrespectful way if he realized that he was the authority in the room. We have got to get back to a place of respecting authority because God has ordained 
governing authorities at every single level. Whether that's in your workplace, whether that's here at Northeastern Baptist College, whether it's in Bennington, whether it's in Vermont, whether it's in the United States of America, we are to respect the authorities that God has established. And that includes governing authorities, the government. Government is appointed by God. But there's a second principle that I want you to see in here today, and that is that government is an avenger of evil on behalf of God. Now, in the text, he goes into this section, which we will come back and look at later, talking about that we uh, shouldn't resist uh, the authorities. It talks about that uh, the rulers are a terror to those uh, who do evil, not to those who do good. That's obviously when government is functioning properly. But he makes some statements in this section that show us what God intends for government to do. Number one, he says right up front in verse 2 that when you resist authority, you're resisting the ordinance of God. So if you are wrongly resisting government, then the fact is you're not just resisting government, you're resisting God himself. So then he moves on and he demonstrates this truth of the principle that, we are, that, that we've just stated. He says in verse 4, For he, speaking of whoever that governing authority is, in their case, Caesar, for he is God's deacon. He is God's minister. He is God's deacon, diakonos. He is God's servant. Now, what is he God's servant to do? To pastor your church? No. To hand out communion? No. To serve alongside the pastor in a leadership role? No. He is not that kind of deacon. He is not that kind of servant. But he is God's servant, God's minister, God's deacon for good. So if you do evil, be afraid. Now, look what it says. For he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's deacon. He is God's minister, servant, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Listen, going all the way back to the Mosaic Law. It was, it's always been very clear in, in God's economy, in law, that we do not have the right to avenge evil as individuals. If someone breaks into your home and in defense of your family, you take their life, that is called self-defense. If, however, someone breaks into your home and you're, don't, you're not there, you don't do anything about it, uh, and then later you decide you're going to go hunt the person down and make them pay, that is called vengeance. And God says of vengeance, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So as an individual, we have no right to avenge evil. The people on the streets today have no right to do that as individuals. Even if they are totally right and there was a miscarriage of justice. They do not, as individuals, have the right to do so. God has ordained that responsibility, listen close, not to the home. That's the other institution we've already looked at. Even though the home 
is an important institution, the foundational institution. God did not entrust the responsibility of avenging evil to the home. He entrusted it to the government. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, that is the primary purpose of government, to avenge evil. And in fact, you say, well, I mean, how serious is this? Well, look what he says there in verse 5. For he is God's minister and avenger. Now look what he says, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Look earlier in the verse, he says he does not bear the sword in vain. He says, I have ordained government to bear the sword. Ladies and gentlemen, those who would say that capital punishment is wrong have not read Scripture. It's wrong for me to take somebody's life as, an avenge, as a vengeful act, but it is the responsibility in certain cases for the government to take someone's life. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, that's why we're reading Romans. No, it's not. This is a serious statement. He makes it very clear. God ordained government to bear the sword. There are times that the government must use deadly force to carry out justice. That happens internally and that happens externally. The primary role of government that God has ordained government for is to protect its citizens from evil and when evil is done to avenge that evil on the perpetrators. Secondarily, it is to avenge evil in the same way in other, against other nations, to wage war. There are principles of what is a just war and what is not. What determines whether a country has the right as someone ordained or as the, the governing body ordained by God to go to war. There are reasons that we see in Scripture that they have a right to do it and reasons they do not. Not all wars are just. All wars should be hated. We should not relish it. But there are times when a government has the responsibility to take the sword that literally, as the word says, they're carrying on their side and unsheath it and wield it for as an avenger of God's justice. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you it was right for the United States of America to stop Hitler and the Nazis. We had no other choice, and we should have done so. And there are other times through our history where to be the government that God intended them to be, to execute justice, to execute avenge, avenging excuse me, avenging of evil. It is the government's job to do so. God ordained the home as the primary foundational building block. But God ordained government. He appointed them, and he appointed them specifically as an avenger of evil on behalf of God. By the way, that's why they're going to give an account to God for this. Because when they take someone's life wrongly, they will answer to God for it. 
God will hold government accountable, and one way he does that is through government processes. But if the government processes do not work, God will find another way to hold them accountable because God is a just God. But the fact of the matter is, is government is appointed by God and government is an avenger of evil. Again, notice, as a deacon of God, on behalf of God, as a servant of God, as a minister of God. That is the primary role of government. But there's a third thing that we must see in this text. And that is that government is to attend to the restraining work of God. Not only to execute judgment on evil, but also to restrain us from evil. That's, that's part of the government's job. And we see it beginning in verse 5. He says, therefore, you should be subject not only because of wrath. So not only because of wrath, not only because you know that they're going to they're gonna execute judgment on you, but also for conscience sake. And here's the issue with conscience. God has given every one of us one, and sometimes we listen to it. And sometimes we sear it. And sometimes our conscience needs a little help. Sometimes, it, it, you know, our conscience might get to you the first time that you exceed the speed limit. But after a while, it may not get to you. But I promise you, if you are driving where uh, Professor Ferguson and I were driving the other day, we came out of the airport, and within about five miles, I th think we saw 10 police officers pulling people over. That helps your conscience. <laughs> it just does. It reminds you that you really ought to go ahead and set that cruise so that you don't exceed the speed limit even accidentally. Why? Because you know there are consequences. That is a restraining activity of the government. He says, listen, it's not just for wrath, but for your conscience. And by the way, you should do that because, look what he says in verse 6, for because of this you also pay taxes. For they're God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Not just for the wrath, but to help you with your conscience. They're God's ministers for this. That's why we pay taxes. That's why we should not defund the police department. That's why we should not cut back their, 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 their uh, salaries. That's why we should... We should pay the taxes because they are there as a restraining factor to keep us from doing wrong. Listen, I just want you to picture with me what would happen for a, in a city. Let's just take Seattle where this was an issue. If they actually just disbanded all the police and say, we're not going to have any police. I mean, what kind of restraint would there be? The people cast off all personal restraint. There's nothing to get our conscience in check. But the government's role is to keep our conscience in check. They are to restrain us, and that happens by establishing law and order within a community, within a state, or within our nation. And those in our nation who are calling for us to defund 
police departments or to dismantle police departments are actually moving against this very principle right here in this text. Because according to God's word, and by the way, backed up with Jesus' statements about rendering to Caesar, but right here stated, this is why you pay taxes. Because they're God's minister and attending continually to this very thing. What very thing? Of helping you with your conscience. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. Say, well, that person is, doesn't really deserve honor. You're right, probably. But their position deserves honor. And therefore... Give honor to their position. Do what you can. Within our country, we have a lot we can do to deal with laws. We're going to do it in a few weeks when we vote. There are ways. We're, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Therefore, we have, as citizens of the United States, an opportunity and a responsibility to act. But at no time should we dishonor government. At no time. We, we may stand against a particular person's stance, but because of the position they hold, we honor them. I've been to the White House one time. Um, it was an interesting day that I won't tell you all the details of. Sometime my wife might. <clears throat> she likes to tell it, so I usually let her. Uh, she didn't know till after the fact, but her husband was about that close to being arrested by the Secret Service uh, accidentally. But anyway, I've been there one time. And I was in um, patriotic awe of where I stood. As we walked through the halls on the tour, and I saw pictures of past presidents as I saw scripture written in, in the building. Later, we left there and went to the Capitol, and <laughs> that was its own story later in the day we won't go into either. It was an interesting trip. But later, we went in the Capitol, which I've been in many times. But we went in the Capitol, and as I walked through the Capitol, and I began to look at pictures in the Capitol building, and I saw preachers preaching, and I saw people praying, and I saw scripture hanging all over the walls. And then I began to look at pictures that depicted our history as a nation. I was in patriotic awe. I didn't get to go into the Supreme Court on that trip, but I did go to the bottom of the steps, and I looked up, and I saw, wow, what an amazing thing. As I went to the various memorials and monuments over a three-day period, just patriotic awe that was there. Now listen to me. The person that was in that White House was William Jefferson Clinton. I've already told you about the biggest issue that I had with his presidency, though there are others. It was during, we were there, right while that battle was going on. And he was arguing 
for the wholesale murder and torture of babies. I had very little respect for him as a man, but I respected him as the President of the United States because, because I understand that God has ordained government. He calls me to pay my taxes. He calls me to honor those who are in authority over me because God has ordained government. It's very important in these days with all of the turmoil, with all the turmoil over the election, all the turmoil of responding to COVID-19, all the turmoil of the riots taking place for months now across our nation. It is very important if we are going to be citizens first of heaven and secondarily citizens of the country in which we live, that we understand that God himself has ordained government. We have a responsibility to respect governing authorities. Even if they're doing evil, we work against the evil, we speak against the evil, but we never disrespect or dishonor those who are in authority. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. It is important for Christians to revisit these issues. It used to be discussed often. Over the last 15 years or so, it's become unpopular in the evangelical world to consider these things. There's been an emphasis on simply just, I'm not a citizen of this country as such. It's so, so, it's not even secondary. It's way down the list for me. And in the process of time, we have begun to jettison our responsibility before God. And today I'm calling on you to stand for your life, for the truth of the Word of God. And to not deny what God's word clearly teaches throughout and in this passage in particular. And to realize that as a citizen of this country, you have a responsibility to the government. To pay taxes and to give honor. You must realize that no matter how bad the person or people that are in authority are, that they are operating in a position that has been ordained by God. And so you may not like the person. You may disagree with everything they're doing. You may speak against the evil that has infiltrated government. But you may never be right with God and disrespect government because God ordained it. It has a place. We can argue about what if something is the place of government or not. And there are some things government do, do, governments do, that is not their place. And we'll get to that. But today we need to be reminded that we have a responsibility to respect government. And if we do not, then in reality what we are doing are disrespecting the ordinances of God. Because God has established government. He appointed government. Government is his avenger, and government is his deacon to restrain us with our conscience. 
And therefore, we have a responsibility to respect the government wherever we live. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that would be true if you were a citizen in Iran or a citizen in China or anywhere else. That is the case. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then you are a citizen of two countries. The heavenly and the present. I encourage you to let these words guide your thoughts, your speech, and your actions. But if you're here today and you say, well, I don't know that I'm a citizen of heaven. Then really, this message isn't really to you. You have a responsibility to respect government, yes, and you will answer to God for not. But you're not a citizen of heaven if, if you've never come to that place of turning from your sin and trusting Christ. See, we're all God's creation and we're all part of His economy. And we all have to interact with God's three institutions. But the fact of the matter is, is if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, then this is the only place you are a citizen of. And when this life is over, you will spend eternity separated from God forever. But listen, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. So he sent Jesus to come to this earth. He was tempted like you and I, and yet he never sinned because he is not only 100% God, but he is 100 uh, man, but he is 100% God. Tempted as a man, victorious as God the Son. And yet he went to a sinner's death on the cross, taking the penalty for your sin and mine, was buried and rose again three days later, defeating sin and death in the grave. And right now he offers you forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God. Listen, if you've never trusted him, then you can do so right now. And by doing so, you become a citizen of heaven and that becomes your primary responsibility. So I want to give you that opportunity. If you're listening online later on through our podcast or if you're in one of the rooms here in our chapel in extended rooms and you've never trusted Jesus, then you can do so right now. Just turn to him. Confess, Lord, I know that I've sinned. I know I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve to be a citizen of heaven. But Jesus, I believe you died for me. And right now, I turn from my sin and I trust you to forgive me, to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to make me a citizen of heaven. And it's in Jesus' name. Listen, if you've done that, let us know. Let me know. Let one of your, your professors know. If you're listening online, write an email, call up to the school and let us know so that we can rejoice with you that now you are a citizen of heaven as well as, as a citizen of whatever country in which you reside.